Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Thank you for joining us on New Idea Investigates. It was a crime that captivated Australia. Two innocent little girls abducted from a family football game at the Adelaide Oval in 1973. Joanne Ratcliffe was 11 years old, her friend Kirsty Gordon just four. They haven't been seen since. Joanne's sister Susie is sharing her story with us and is back today to reveal the very latest in the case. Nothing came of those the newspapers, nothing came of that initial investigation. What did you think of that? What did mum and dad think of that at the time? Do you think enough was done at the time? I think in... Back in 1973, the whole idea of abduction was was quite new. As I said, prior to to the girls going missing, it was really only the Beaumont children that were publicly acknowledged as being an abduction. So, for the the police and the detectives studying the case and investigating all all lines of inquiry, some of them were just it was completely new to them. Yeah. Yes, there was information that wasn't followed through on. There was uh, things allegedly go missing out of evidence. But I believe at that time, the detectives did all that they could to try and find the two girls. Um, exemplary efforts by a number of detectives, so much so that a lot of the, some of the detectives actually took it on personally. Not only did they... They investigate the case at work, but they took it home with them. Mm. They, you know, it's it's not like any other job where, you know, you go to work through the day and then at five o'clock or knock-off time, you leave your work there and you go home and you spend that time with your family and you forget about work. Yeah. What these detectives read through, heard about, and in some cases have seen over the years, that's something that would stay with you forever. You can't just forget about that and leave that at work. Those visions and those thoughts and those memories will live you with live with you always. So much so that we had several detectives that become very good friends of my mum and dad's. They would come around after hours just to check on mum and dad see how they were both going when my dad was diagnosed with cancer and he ended up in hospital two of those detectives would go in every single day to visit him whether they were on shift or not and if they were working a case and couldn't make it in they would ring Mm. to see how he was going when my dad passed away 
They would check on mum every day to see how she was going. They turned up to his funeral. It hurt them and broke them as much as what it did family members. It did because it really was, Susie, you can read about it, but it really is a case that not only captivated, but it really did alter the way that Australians raised their children in so many ways, didn't it? It really was a robbery of such innocence that no one expected it. Yes, the Beaumonts was the first case, but after Kirsty and, and Joanne went missing as well, I think it really did, wouldn't you say, alter the way people raise their children. And it, it does affect detectives as well because they're obviously taking these cases on board to try and find a resolution for families like yours. Well, that's just, I mean... When the Beaumont children went missing, it was a case that shocked the nation because nothing like it had ever happened before. And people sat up and took notice and started realising that maybe it's not such a safe community after all. Mm. But then after a couple of years and, and there was nothing come come forward and, and sort of it faded a little bit from people's minds, people become lax again. But then when Joe and Kirsty disappeared, it was all brought out back to the forefront of people's minds and they thought, hang on a moment, maybe this is not just a one-off. Mm. There's something seriously wrong here and we have to change things. We have to be more careful and more vigilant with our children. There are people out there that have sinister, evil minds and our children are at risk and things changed. The way children had their freedom suddenly was rained back so much you know it got to the stage where kids weren't so you know easy and and weren't so so lucky to to be able to go out and play and travel you know into the city or Mm. or down to the park on their own Mm. i've had people contact me over the years saying that you know when they were kids growing up in the 60s and the early 70s before joanne and kirsty disappeared that they used to get on the bus. They'd travel down to the beach. They'd go to the park. I had one person contact me and say her and her brother went to the city on a bus. She was six and he was four. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. But that all stopped after the girls disappeared. Yeah. As a family, I, I know that you've you've told me before that your mum and dad were reluctant to move house, weren't they? They were literally mm-hmm. waiting for Joe to come home each night. Yeah. We. Um, we lived in the same house in Campbelltown right up until the day we moved in August 1986. Up until then, my mum and dad always believed that we should stay exactly where we had been living when Joe disappeared in the hope that if she ever made it out from wherever they, they'd kept her, that she'd be able to make her way home and she would be able to find us. My mum and dad would leave their front light on as a beacon for her to know that if she did ever make it home, that someone was there waiting for her. And that light stayed on every night without fail, mm-hmm. right up until the night we moved, or the day we moved from Adelaide in 1986. 
You've grown up immersed in this case, no doubt, as, as you grew older and actually began to understand what had actually happened or potentially happened to Joe. How did that affect you, sweet? How did that affect you and the way you felt towards the perpetrator? Oh, when I first started to understand about what had happened to my sister and um, that there was a, an evil man behind her abduction... I couldn't comprehend how anyone could be like that. You know, we we were in a, a close knit family. We had a lot of close friends, and so I wasn't exposed to that sinister outlook on on the world. Uh, as I got older, I got to, to understand it more. Uh, but you know, as as a kid, you you usually you have freedom to to go and play with your friends or go to the park or you know, get to go out and, out and about. And a lot of my friends had that freedom, but I didn't. Mm. Uh, it was really difficult for me to go around to friends' place unless my mum or my brother could take me there because they were too scared to let me out on my own in case the same thing happened to me as what happened to Joe. Mm. As I got older, uh, you know, I it frustrated me. You know, I, I understood what had happened to Joanne and... You know, knew that the risk behind it, but I was frustrated and, and even to a point angry with my mum and my brother because I believed in myself that it couldn't happen to the same family twice. So why was I being punished for what had happened before I was even born? Mm. So in, in later years, like especially in my sort of early teen years, uh, I rebelled against mum uh, to a certain point. It angered me uh, quite a lot. Um, but in so saying that, when we we left Adelaide, we moved to a country town in South Australia, and I was suddenly given a little bit more freedom. You know, I was able to go with my, my friends that live next door. We could ride our bikes out along the bush tracks and had that bit of, bit of freedom that I wasn't given when I lived in Adelaide. Obviously, mum and dad said to be point, You know, it was, you can only go for an hour, then you have to report back home. Obviously, mum um, and dad felt a bit more comfortable given that you were out of the city perhaps and out in the country. Well, the fact that the, the town that we moved to, um, you know, even though they, you know, they had, had TV and radio and all that sort of stuff there, the girl's case wasn't so prominent there. You know, mm. not everybody knew about it. Mm. Even though it was still in South Australia, not everybody knew about our case because there were a lot of multinational cultures there. So there were people that had only moved to the town and only been living in Australia for a short amount of time, so hadn't necessarily heard about the case, which for my mum was a godsend because everywhere we went in Adelaide, there would be people that would stop and ask her questions. Or they'd say, oh, weren't you the, the family that, that lost their little girl from the Adelaide Oval? Oh, Susie, could you imagine what your mum's been through to have that? Can you just... It's it's really it's something that we just can't fathom. 
Over the I, years, there's been many theories and possible links to other cases, notably that of the young Beaumont children earlier in 1966. They were abducted by a man matching the same description as that in Joe's and Kirsty's case, and yet nothing was ever conclusive. No one has ever been charged. It's almost as though the girls have simply vanished. What has made this case particularly difficult for police is obviously the lack of any physical evidence, no fingerprints, no DNA, nothing credible to go on. They've been at the mercy of the public to come forward with information that could lead to a breakthrough. Um, obviously, given how much police are also trying to bring you some sort of resolution, that is what has made the case so difficult, isn't it, that physical lack of evidence? Well, that's just it. It's, it's like they... they just simply disappeared into thin air. Being in, in such a, a public area, it was it was difficult to, to find any evidence that, oh, that Joe and Kirsty were there or or who the, the perpetrator was that took the girls. It's it's different if it's sort of from, from your, your personal home or um, you know, from a, a front yard or something. It's easier to find evidence. But it was there was just nothing and the fact that thousands of people go through that area all the time and keeping in mind that technology back then uh, was there wasn't a lot of it um, it was very basic it's it was difficult for for the police to do their job mm. to find things that may have been left behind and the fact that you know there were there were people that have come forward over the years with their theories and their suspicions and, of course, the tin hats that come saying that, you know, they were taken off this planet and all that. It's it's difficult for the police. I mean, they, they still get phone calls every week mm. through Crime Stoppers from people that have seen something or believe that they know something. And that's, that's critical, you know, out of the, the hundreds of phone calls that the police receive. There may only be one or two phone calls that actually have anything relevant, but those one or two phone calls could hold the key piece of evidence That's right. that can tie it all together, that can result in answers, which will result in us finally being able to bring the girls home. Obviously, the heartache of searching for daughter Joe did take its toll on your dad, and he died in 1981. He died not hap not knowing what happened to Joe. That's probably the most heartbreaking thing. What would he have done to have had some knowledge as to where his little girl had gone? Oh, dad would have given his all. He he sacrificed so much to try and find Joanne. After after Joe disappeared, he would spend every available moment that he could in his car driving around Adelaide just looking, hoping to find something, anything mm, mm. that could lead him to, to what happened to Joe and Kirsty. Dad, he he was he would work, he, you know, he was a, a bread carter for, for Tip Top Bakery and he'd get up early in the morning go to work come home, have a bite to eat get changed and then he'd go out driving for hours hoping that on one of his travels that something would come up. That he would see something, anything, to bring his little yeah. girl back. Yeah, and, you know, he he wrote, he actually wrote a letter to the advertiser, a local paper uh, in South Australia, not long before he died. And in it, 
he quoted, on the outside I was smiling, but on the inside I was dying. Mm. And, you know, he he would put on a brave face. You know, it, it, it said that, you know, it took him years to get back to three quarters of what he used to be. But he would never be fully that a man that he was before Joe disappeared. You know, after after I was born, um, you know, the the doctors told mum and dad that having a new child would, you know, would, would bring them sanity, that would, would help ease the pain. But it's, you know, as, as both my mum and, and my brother have said to me, you know, they never regret having another child. Um, you know, it was it was fantastic for them, but it just reinforced also what they were missing out on and what the abductor took from them. Do birthdays and anniversaries still affect everyone? Oh, very much so, very much so. Um, in the lead up to the anniversary in August, for at least a week beforehand, my mum struggles. She becomes quiet, she, she becomes withdrawn. Um, she's, she's very, can be quite morose, you know, knowing that it's just yet another year marked off the calendar that we don't have answers. Is that what hurts the most, Susie? Is it the not knowing? It is. It's just, you know, when you when you lose someone to to death, you have a body you can bury. You can take them to, to a cemetery. You can have a funeral. You can begin your grieving process. And you can visit them mm. in the years to come. Having a missing person, it's, you relive it over and over every day. You sort of constantly wondering what happened to them? Where are they? In some cases, it's, are they safe? Are they well? Are they okay? And then, of course, in our case, it's, you know, where is their body? So we can bring her home and we can bury her with the love, dignity and respect she deserves. In a major initiative in 2014, million-dollar rewards were offered by the South Australian Government in relation to 13 cases that involved the murder or disappearance or presumed murder of children. This included Joe and Kirsty's case. The substantial reward was obviously offered in the hope that it would inspire those with knowledge of the cases to come forward. Uh, this week, the South Australian Police have continued their investigations into the 1973 disappearance of Joanne Ratcliffe, 11 years, and Kirsty Gordon, four years, from Adelaide Oval on the 25th of August, 1973. This week, we have attended several sites at our properties at Yatna, which is in the mid-north of the state. We've spent three days excavating a well and examining a second well. This is in furtherance of a number of visits to that location over the past 12 months and three previous occasions where one of the wells has been excavated. Um, we will continue to do anything we can to try and find the girls, find who was responsible for their abductions. To date, our searches at Yatna have not revealed any evidence in relation to the girls' abduction, um, but we will continue to do whatever we need to do to try and find the girls, for the, particularly for their families. We want to 
attract people to come forward to reveal what they know, even the smallest piece of information can lead to a chain of inquiry which can lead to an arrest of the perpetrator or indeed information, crucial information, that might allow us to understand the final resting place for these children. Did you find uh, this initiative helped the case at all? Well, in the first, uh, I think it was the first two weeks after uh, this initiative was announced, there was over 120 phone calls to Crime Stoppers with information. That's an incredible result. It is. Well, between the, with the Beaumont Children's case, they actually had over 165 phone calls. Now, being a, a, a poll case as, as long-term as, as both of our cases are, it's heartwarming from a family's point of view to know that there are still people out there that want to come forward. And I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, it shouldn't take a million-dollar reward to initiate that response. And, and initially, to me, I was exactly the same, Michael. How can anybody be so so cruel as to wait for a, a monetary gain to come forward with information that may help us? But a police officer that I deal with put it to me quite simply. A million-dollar reward is life-changing. To someone who may have their life put at risk by coming forward with information. Not only are they putting their own lives at risk by coming forward, but they can be putting the lives of their family members, their own children, their wife or husband, their parents at risk by divulging information that they have. The person who took Joe and Kirsty or any other missing person, they, they have a sinister bone in there. There's, there's sinister thoughts in them. So who's to say, you know, put it past them that they could commit more crimes mm. against someone that comes forward with information. Mm. So a million dollar reward can be a life changing money effect for them in cases like this. What would you say to somebody out there, Susie, if they did have information relating to the case? What would you say to somebody? That no matter how insignificant they feel the information may be, to contact Crime Stoppers. Every little piece of information could be the key to solving a person's heartache. We may not have our loved one's walk back through the door because of that information but it gives families a chance to grieve the opportunity to bury their loved ones and a chance to finally be able to move on from that never-ending nightmare that families live with each and every single day. And you've also lived with the theories, the roller coaster of emotions each time a new theory is, uh, is brought to light. And in recent years, a team of private investigators believed what they disclosed what they believed was pivotal evidence relating to the case. And then just a couple of years ago in 2015, fresh leads sparked another investigation into a key suspect, known pedophile Stanley Arthur Hart, with police searching his former property at Yatina and searched two deep wells on the property. Talk us through that, Susie. 
Uh, well, I mean, you, you try not to get your hopes up every time a new lead comes forward because if it peters out to nothing, it's it's heartbreaking all over again. It's, it's like the, the massive kick in the guts. But unfortunately, you can't help but get your hopes up okay, because that bit of evidence or, or that new lead could be, you know, the final breakthrough that you can finally bring them home, that you're finally being able to, to have that opportunity to, to bury them or, and to say goodbye. Um, I mean, the, the private investigators have, have been phenomenal. I have, have met the, the main investigator uh, in the case where um, they went up to, to Yatna. And, you know, a, a lot of people have said to, said to me, oh, you know, they're just after the reward money. I can tell you now that the key investigator has already told me that if they are instrumental in locating the girls, they do not want a cent of that reward money. They want, they want that money to go back to the families or to go to charity. They're not in this for the money. They're in this to help families and to try and alleviate our pain in some way. Police confirmed that Hart was a key figure in their investigation of the case. What is the latest with that? I mean, he had been interviewed. Police hadn't been able to substantiate his evidence. He's obviously since passed away. Um, do, you, do you have any suspects in mind that you believe may have had some involvement or knowledge on Joe and Kirsty's case, Susie? I, I believe that there was, it wasn't just one person. Um, I mean, it's, it's difficult to abduct one child, let alone two, uh, and to get away with it so easily. The fact that there was just no evidence whatsoever and, and after the initial, like the last sighting at 90 minutes after they disappeared, for them to just suddenly disappear with no other sightings, I believe that there could very well be more than one suspect involved in, in their abduction. I try not to close off my mind to uh, just, you know, the one suspect named. I think all avenues should be thoroughly investigated before um, it's closed off. There have been a number of suspects over the years. Of course, Hart being the light, latest one, but, you know, there was uh, um, Arthur Brown in Queensland. Yeah. He was another, another suspect named. Sadly, you know, both of these suspects have passed, so they will never get justice if we do find the girls or if they, they do find enough evidence. Well, it's challenging, isn't it, cases as old as these ones because the perpetrators may well have passed on, but they may have told somebody who may have some information. So there is always hope, Susie, isn't there? There is. I mean, you know, there's a chance that there'll be a deathbed confession if, you know, the, the perpetrator is, you know, more than likely in his 80s or, or 90s at this stage. There's also the fact that loyalties, they fade over time. Mm. You know, whether it's, they've you know, the, the perpetrator confessed to uh, their wife or their partner or, or a friend, or even if they've spent time in jail and they have leaked information to a fellow inmate. That's right. There's always that possibility. So you, you never give up hope. You know, we, we express that so much that 
always hold on to hope because once you let go of hope, you've got nothing. And you have been just as strong as you talk of your mum being and you have done everything you can. You were also the face of International Missing Children's Day last year alongside the Gordons where you were able to raise awareness for other families of missing loved ones. You've also used your personal story to help others, Susie. Tell me a little bit about uh, leaving a light on. Well, in February 2015, uh, I got together with... Uh, a good friend of mine from Adelaide and we created Leave a Light On which is in memory of missing persons. Our aim is to raise awareness of long-term missing persons here in Australia and also to help provide support for families that have been left behind. Leave a Light On originated due to uh, a number of reasons. My friend had ventured to me about creating a Memorial Day for Joanne and Kirsty in August around their anniversary and I thought it seemed like a great idea but then I got thinking I'd been speaking with other families of missing persons and one of the the main consensus amongst all families is that they feel that their loved ones are forgotten after the initial few months when someone goes missing the media and the police move on to the next case which inevitably does happen because there are so many cases happening here in Australia and unless it's an anniversary or a major event or there's information that comes forward missing persons don't get much media play Mm. it saddened me that there are so many families going through through that because in a way my family are, are lucky for what for want of a better word because Our case is so well known, we do get quite a lot of media coverage throughout the year. Yeah, where some families don't get get any, yeah. They don't get any at all. And there are so many families out there in that same situation. In Australia, there are close to 2,000 long-term missing persons. Long-term being classed, of course, as three months or older. It's heartbreaking for so many families out there want to have a voice for their missing loved one, Mm. but struggle to get their story out there. And that's where Leave a Light On hopefully can step in and help. There is a reward of $1 million for information that leads to a successful conviction. If you have any information at all regarding this case, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 000. Thank you for your company. We look forward to you joining us in our next episode of New Idea Investigates. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.